You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. I'm Phil, and today I am excited to announce that this is our 200th episode. Hard to believe, but friends, it has been such an amazing journey, and there is so much still to come. But to celebrate this milestone, we wanted to bring in someone special. See, here at Rua Space, our name, as many of you know, comes from the Hebrew word ruach, which means breath and spirit, hinting at this connection between breath and spirit and the importance of breath for all of our life. We help make space for spirit, for breath here. That's what we are about. And so who better to join the podcast than one of the world's leading experts on breathing, Patrick McKeown. I've learned so much about breathing from Patrick and from his books. When someone first gave me one of these books, it, it changed my life. And so I am so excited to share our conversation with you. But before we dig into that conversation, I do want to say thank you. Thank you for listening, for your feedback, and for being with us on this journey. We can't wait to bring you 200 more episodes. But friends, we do need your help. It's so awesome to see all the transformation in people's lives. People drawing closer to God and discovering their life in Christ, finding creative ways to pray, connecting deeper with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in their lives. But we do need your help to keep it going. So if you've been blessed by the Ruas-based ministry, if you've enjoyed these podcast episodes and would like to help keep it going, as well as reach even more people, we would be absolutely honored and delighted if you would check out our Patreon page, where for just $5 a month or more, you can help support this podcast, the ministry, everything we're doing across all the platforms, while gaining exclusive access to some really cool series. We have something really awesome coming up for Advent, We've gone through Revelation. We've looked at Psalm 23. We do live events. We do exclusive blog and podcast episodes, articles. It's a really fun space to connect deeper. And we would be so honored if you would consider supporting us there, helping to keep the mic on and help us to make these next 200 episodes. So friends, thank you so much for helping make this possible episode number 200. I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Patrick McKeown. Patrick, welcome to the Rua Space Podcast. Such an honor to have you with us today. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to be here, Phil. Thanks very much. You know, I know the information you're going to share is, is worth people listening, but your accent adds that extra element that really makes it worth it. You know, I'm, I'm mostly Irish, but I have this boring Midwest accent. Yeah, well, I suppose not much I can do to change it. And, um, you know, it's, it's your normal Irish accent. So, yeah, that's, that's how it is. <laughs> I think it's great. I'm jealous. You know, I wish it was passed down genetically so that I could have, uh, could, could have kept it, you know. But, um, you know, here at Rua Space, our, our name is rooted in this Hebrew word, ruach, which is breath and spirit. And so we're all about breath here. And so when a friend handed me your book years ago, I mean, it, it just opened a whole new world for me on the importance 
of breathing, how central it is to our life, and how so many of us are doing it incorrectly. What brought you to this work and really making your life all about teaching people to breathe? I stumbled into it because of my own health issues. I had asthma growing up as a kid and into my teenage years, into my early adults. And if you have asthma, you also are more likely to have a stuffy nose. And if you have a stuffy nose, you're more likely to have sleep problems. So I was your normal kid with asthma, with a stuffy nose, with chronic mouth breathing, with snoring and obstructive sleep apnea. Uh. And that's normal. And, you know, as well as most people don't consider that if you have asthma, it's not just you have asthma, you're more likely to be tired. So my quality of life would have been affected. I never considered myself to have anxiety, but I definitely had poor concentration. I had difficulty in school, I had difficulty in high school, difficulty in university. And I had difficulty holding my attention and I'm not unique, of course, there are millions of children and teenagers in the same and society demands that we are able to hold our attention, but nobody teaches us how. I came across breath work in 1997, and it was a different form of breathing that was typically out there. It was all about the importance of breathing in and out through the nose. And it was also about the importance of breathing light. And I was doing neither of those things. So I switched to nose breathing both during the day and also during sleep. And my sleep improved enormously. And that's not an exaggeration, but that was within a couple of days, I noticed big changes in my sleep. And I also noticed that when I started breathing slower and breathing less air, which was contrary to what people were telling me to do, I noticed that the temperature of my fingers improved. Hmm. I never realized that my cold hands and cold feet, and I always had cold hands and cold feet, that they were influenced by how hard I was breathing. So I suppose, Phil, there's an idea out there that, you know, with breathing, the idea that's out there, that's often out there, is that the more air you breathe, the better, but that's not true. And for me, I was already breathing hard and fast, mouth breathing, upper chest breathing, and I was increased in an increased state of sympathetic drive or stress response, and my physiology was off, you know, so... So I was lucky. I came across this. I changed careers. I had a master's degree or well, I still have a master's degree in a business, economic and social studies. I was in the corporate world. I didn't like it in any shape or form. I wasn't suitable for it. Maybe my physiology at the time wasn't suitable. I, I didn't like the competitive pressures. I didn't like the whole mentality that it's almost that you're brought in and creativity is is neutralized. I felt that you're almost a subordinate to the whole culture of the company. And I thought there was a lot of pressure there. So yeah, so I started teaching breathing. Um, but I trained in it. So I changed careers and retrained. Yeah. People are probably shocked right now if they haven't read your material or come across the importance of breathing yet to, to hear the link between all those things you were struggling with and the fact that simply changing breathing could have such a drastic impact. Why is it that our breath is linked to so many of those other issues? Because most people probably think I need to go on medication or it's this other issue and it's not to disqualify some of those other things, but what is it about our breath that's linked to so much of our body and its well-being? 
Well, you can influence all of the major disciplines of health by changing your breathing patterns. You And breathing goes, it's much broader than what people think. People think that breathing is just, you know, take the full breath or the deep breath or hyperventilate or whatever. There's much, much more to it. And it really starts off with breathing in and out through the nose. You know, the human organ, the nose is on the face for a reason. And when it comes to the breath, the mouth is absolutely nothing in terms of breathing. But yet, it's quite common for adults and for children to persistently mouth breathe. And these kids and adults are not going to reach their full potential. So does it make sense, say, for somebody with asthma, it's a lung issue, that if they are breathing through an open mouth, they are taking cold, dry, unfiltered, unconditioned air direct into the lungs. That can cause aggravation of the airways. Nasal breathing is the body's primary defense there. Does it make sense for the likes of COVID? That when you breathe through your nose, you have your own body's natural source of defense. There is a gas there called nitric oxide, which is antiviral, antibacterial. And yet there has been no talk about nasal breathing for either individuals to help improve their defense against COVID, but also individuals who were infected not to breathe through their mouth, because if you do, you transmit a greater amount of water particles into the atmosphere. Mm. In terms of sleep, it's been known for 400 years that when you breathe through your nose during sleep, your sleep is deeper. And you should never wake up with a dry mouth in the morning. I wrote a scientific paper on this that was published in a peer-reviewed journal in the journal Clinical Medicine in January of this year. I wrote it with two ear, nose and throat doctors and the top sleep doctor in the world was Dr. Christian Gimeno, and he has been talking about the critical importance of restoring nasal breathing during sleep. Now, he has passed on, but he is the doctor that is credited with um, coining the phrase obstructive sleep apnea, and he also developed the apnea hypopnea index. In terms of mental health, by changing our breathing, we can influence states of mind. And when I think of people who are stressed of course, stress and anxiety, or if you have a difficult situation, your body is going to go into that faster and more rapid breathing pattern, more upper chest breathing or irregular breathing. But that form of breathing is also going to feed back into your anxiety. And yet 75% of the anxiety and panic disorder population have dysfunctional breathing. But yet this group is seldom taught about how to improve their functional breathing patterns. Children who are growing up, in children who have sleep disorder breathing, it can increase the risk of special education needs. And this has been shown with a number of studies, but certainly by a longitudinal study involving 11,000 children in Stratford-upon-Avon in the United Kingdom. And it was published in the Journal of Pediatrics in 2012. And I think that the, the researcher, I think, is, she, I think she's from the US. Uh, her name is Karen Bonnock. She concluded that children with sleep disorder breathing, which includes snoring, if untreated by age five, these kids have a 40% increased risk of special education needs by age eight. Mm. Your dental health is impacted by your breathing, especially if you have your mouth open, your hydration, your oxygen uptake, your oxygen delivery, the autonomic nervous system. And I'm not saying, you know, people might say, well, I'm just talking this up. There's enough evidence out there and there's enough, there's, it's not even the evidence. It's just normal physiology. Mm. You know, you don't need a double blind randomized control trial to know that your nose is, is the organ for breathing. It's natural and it's common sense. And even though it has been overlooked, it's very important to get back to basics.
Yeah, absolutely. You know, everything you're just saying, you connected all of life to, to breathing. And um, I know that there's the scientific end of it. And I know in your research, you've probably come across a lot of religious traditions that, and, and even meditative traditions, yoga, other things that that focus on the importance of breathing. And I know in, in my Christian tradition, it, it's vitally linked to our, our very creation. So it makes sense that our breath is so tied into um, the, the basic functionality of our lives and the, the nose being so important with that. So what leads us to breathe so incorrectly from our mouth and kind of as a, as a second corollary to it, what is it that breathing through our mouth is, is doing to take away the goodness of our breath? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good question. And I don't have a specific answer why we switched from nose to mouth breathing. I think there's a number of factors. The food that we eat is typically soft food and we're, we're bringing up our young kids on soft food. Soft food <clears throat> doesn't cause development of the jaws as much as the harder foods that our ancestors would have been eating. Even raw fruits and vegetables, raw vegetables, you have to chew in a carrot. Um, Lack of breastfeeding because of societal pressure on the mother to go back to work because breastfeeding is not just for nutrition, but it's also for manipulation of the faces, the muscles of the face of the young baby necessary for craniofacial growth. The breathing pattern of the parents can influence, of course, the breathing pattern of the infant. And stress for children, teenagers, adults, trauma definitely impacts breathing. And the first documented case of chronic hyperventilation would have been by an American doctor during the American Civil War called the Costa. And he noticed that soldiers returning back <clears throat> from the front line whereby they would have been susceptible to high stress levels. Their breathing was dysfunctional. They had fatigue and symptoms of breathlessness, et cetera. So there are many factors which cause our breathing to change. And it really is related to modern life and modern society. And it's interesting what you bring up in terms of the relationship between the breath and religion. The relationship is there. And there was a paper published by an Italian doctor called Bernardi. And he looked at the rosary, which is taken from the Catholic faith. And he also looked at yoga traditions. And he looked at what's called heart rate variability, that when one was either practicing the, the mantra from yoga, I can't remember exactly what the mantra was, or saying the, the rosary, that it changed breathing patterns to exactly six breaths per minute. And the practice of six breaths per minute is the optimum breathing rate to bring about a balance in the autonomic nervous system. So when we think about, of course, like people are saying that we want to hear more science, but I don't think the ancients got it wrong. I think they knew what they were doing. And in many instances, they knew what they were doing and they got it right. Sometimes the information got distorted as it came, in, came down through the generations. And with breathing, that may be the case in some instances. But the ultimate foundation of the breath and spirituality and using the breath as a means to bring presence of mind and stillness to the mind and to connect with everyday life 
really that's ultimately for me is the essence of spirituality how do you bring a stillness to the mind and you know you'll find various quotations and you're going to know it better than i am be still and know that i am god when man was formed there's one from genesis that god breathed in through the nostrils of man it right. didn't say god breathed in through the mouth of man and <laughs> yeah, there's such true. a there's <laughs> such a strong connection between bringing that connection of the human being into life and using the breath and the breath is the bridge between body and mind and you know yeah our ancestors knew it they they got it right yeah yeah and and i like that and it's uh it's connected not just to our health and but to our mental health to our spiritual health our ability to be present to to slow down um it, it this again just revealing breath is then linked just to absolutely everything you know but one thing that stood out to me as, as you were talking there was the six breaths per minute which is obviously taking in less air than we would think. But I think for most of us, we think I want to get more air. Why is it that we actually want less air? Yeah, well, the six breaths per minute, it will kind of depend on how the person does it. You could sure. have one person and what they could do is they'll take in these full big breaths and they may have three liters per breath. So in actual fact, they could end up breathing too much. But you are right in saying, that there is a balance not to breathe too little and not to breathe too much, but just to breathe right. Now, if we have a habit of trauma or a habit of faster and harder breathing as a result of stress in our lives, we need to normalize our minute ventilation. We need to normalize the volume of air that we are breathing. The most common trait in dysfunctional breathing is the habit of breathing too much air. And you breathe too much air if you've got too fast a respiratory rate and or too great a tidal volume, which is the size of each breath. So in other words, the volume of air that you breathe per minute is too much. Now, people mightn't, mightn't readily identify with that, but have you ever seen somebody coming, coming into the room and they're, they're out of breath and they're sitting down and you're just watching their breathing and their breathing is really noticeable. Clearly, that person has got a habit of poor breathing. So it's very common for people to overbreed. And what we do is we teach them simple breathing exercises to breathe less air for short periods of time. And the whole objective there is by breathing less air, you increase the gas carbon dioxide in the blood. And as carbon dioxide increases in the blood and you expose yourself to the increased carbon dioxide, you can reduce the body's sensitivities to the gas. Now that's one theory. Another theory is as you breathe less air and you breathe slower, your brain changes and you're changing the, the pattern of your breathing from a behavioral point of view, but also the plasticity of the brain. So there's different theories as to what's happening. And I don't think fully the breath is fully understood. You know, even the science that has come out in the last 30 years, looking at resonance frequency breathing but it's not even i suppose we need to look at breathing from a number of different dimensions there are breathing exercises to target the biochemistry and that's focused on normalizing carbon dioxide in the blood there are breathing exercises to target the biomechanics and that's focusing on getting more optimal movement of the diaphragm 
And there are breathing exercises that target the autonomic nervous system. So the automatic functioning of the body that we don't have to think about, it happens naturally. But many breathing exercises focus on one dimension and they ignore the rest of them. Hmm. So you can think of one instructor who may focus on the biomechanics. Another instructor is focusing on the biochemistry. Another instructor is focusing on resonance frequency breathing. And it's very important to be able to look at all three dimensions because breathing is, is broader than just one dimension. And then we have to think about, well, how should we breathe when we are not on the mat? You know, really breathing is about bringing good practice into your everyday life during sleep, during physical exercise, what to do if you're getting stressed. You know, there's very practical tools if you have a stuffy nose, you can do a breathing exercise to open up your nose. If you're feeling panicked or anxious, you can do a breathing exercise to help with that. If you want to increase blood flow to the brain for somebody with epilepsy, there's breathing exercises for that. If we want to improve sleep, there are breathing exercises for that. So I use about 26 different breathing exercises and I use different combinations as well. And with that, then we can tailor breathing exercises to the individual. But ultimately, you know, for somebody who may be starting off, I would say make it a habit of breathing in and out through your nose all the time and think that your breathing should be nose slow and low. So you shouldn't hear your breathing during rest. And if you can hear your breathing during rest, your breathing is likely to be too much. Oh, it's fascinating. You know, you, you mentioned the carbon dioxide part of mm. things. And I remember from your book, I think it was oxygen advantage, the bore effect, right? And yeah. about carbon dioxide and opening our uh, sort of the being the doorway. Could, could you just give us a quick sort of a science lesson on carbon dioxide and oxygen and how they work? And I know, as you said, it's, it's sort of one theory of it, but I, I think it can help people sort of get a picture of what's mm. going on. Yeah, like carbon dioxide, the physiology of carbon dioxide was, it was noted back in 1904 by a Danish physiologist called Christian Bohr. And he said that the pressure of carbon dioxide in the blood, it helps the release of oxygen from the red blood cells. So you can think of ourselves as human beings. We take a breath of fresh air into the lungs. Oxygen passes from the lungs into the blood. Most of the oxygen in the blood is carried by hemoglobin. But really what we need to do is we need hemoglobin to release oxygen to the tissues and organs. And one of the factors that cause hemoglobin to release oxygen is carbon dioxide. Because as carbon dioxide increases in the blood, blood pH drops and the hemoglobin releases oxygen. Now, if we are breathing too much air, and I'll give you an example that I often use. I was doing a university exam. I was a little bit anxious going in because I was in that fight or flight response anyway. I was a faster breather, upper chest breather. And then you add, you add on the additional pressure of going into an exam. And I took a walk for about two to three minutes before walking into the exam hall. And during that walk, I took these full big breaths because that's what I, I knew best back then. And I breathed these full big breaths, hearing your breathing, taking these wonderful big breaths. And I walked into the exam hall and I was totally out of it. I was lightheaded, I couldn't focus. I was dizzy. And what happened there was that over the course of two to three minutes, and that all it, that's all it takes, I breathed big breaths and I got rid of too much carbon dioxide from the blood through the lungs. 
and the loss of carbon dioxide causes blood vessels to constrict. So the blood vessels supplying the neck and the brain with, with blood flow, the carotid arteries, constricted. But not only do the blood vessels constrict when you breathe too much air, hemoglobin, which is the carrier of oxygen in the blood, holds onto oxygen more readily. So on one hand, your blood vessels constrict when you breathe too much air. On the other hand, hemoglobin holds onto oxygen too strongly and doesn't release it to the tissues and organs. And the whole purpose of the breath is to utilize oxygen. And it doesn't make sense to be bringing in oxygen into your lungs and for oxygen to go from your lungs into the blood and for that oxygen to do a round trip and for you to, re to breathe that oxygen back out again. That doesn't make sense. Our purpose of breathing is to use the oxygen, not to breathe it back out. But carbon dioxide, the pressure of carbon dioxide in the blood is the key for the body to, to utilize oxygen. Mm. Thank you. That, that's really, I, I think that's really helpful. And some people may be like, you lost me in there. And I would encourage you to go back. But then, of course, I'd also encourage you just to check out his, his book um, where there's, there's even more uh, about that to go deeper. But I, I also appreciate that you, you shared that and sort of took us into that. And it was, it was a really great explanation in the midst of um, an anxiety-provoking experience where you talked about fight or flight. And this is a place that as, as someone who's like a spiritual director, and wants to sort of help guide people in a more peaceful existence and their relationship with God, all those things. Um, our, our chest breathing is, is related to that fight or flight. And it seems to me, and I, I think I read this in you, so forgive me if I'm quoting you wrong, but you know, fight or flight and that, that chest breathing it comes from, you know, our, our ancestors and stuff, you know, they'd see a lion or, a, you know, saber toothed tiger, whatever it may be. Right. And, and, and that sort of is meant to hype us up to survive, but in our modern society, the way that we breathe actually makes us feel like we're in that state, even when we're not, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. When, when we get into a difficult situation, our breathing naturally gets faster and harder. Our breathing becomes up our chest. And the brain interprets that the body is under threat because throughout our evolution, whenever we did get into a difficult situation, we responded with faster and harder breathing and the brain automatically reacted. The body is under threat and the whole purpose of the brain is to protect the body and to get the body out of there. Now, well, we could be working in an office. We get into a difficult situation. We respond with harder and faster breathing. And the brain, in its effort to protect the body, the brain wants the body to get out of there. It's not a time for logical thinking. It's not a time of, for composure. And really, when we think about the breath, we have to think about the exhalation. If you breathe out fast, it's a stressor. Now, I'm talking about during rest and during sleep. I'm not talking about physical exercise because there's an increase in metabolism there. And during physical exercise, it's normal that your breathing does get faster. That's normal. But during rest, if you breathe out fast, you stress the body and mind. But if you breathe out slow, you stimulate the vagus nerve, which is wandering throughout the human body. And it secretes a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine. This causes a slowing of the heart. And when the heart rate slows down, the brain is interpreting that the body is safe. So the brain is monitoring our breathing. And if we breathe fast, the brain interprets the body is under threat. If we breathe slow, especially the exhalation, the brain interprets that the body is safe. But yet, 
75% of people with anxiety and panic disorder, as I mentioned earlier on, have faster and upper chest breathing. Their respiratory physiology is off. And I often feel for this population, and I worked with thousands of these, this group, and I see upper chest breathing and irregular breathing patterns, and they often feel that they are not getting enough air. They're shallow breathing. They sigh frequently. Not all, of course. You know, everybody is a little bit different. But can we address anxiety of the mind if the body is in that fight or flight response? And when I think about mental health, the foundation is get sleep quality right first, get functional breathing right second. Both go hand in hand. Then bring in breath aware, body aware, mind aware to achieve self-actualization. And I've written a couple of books since The Oxygen Advantage. And the only reason I say it is that The Oxygen Advantage is kind of a little bit geared towards sports. Mm. Whereas there's a new book that was released this year called The Breathing Cure. And oh, you've, you, you oh, have yeah. it. It's not showing oh, up. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, I've got it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and you have the US edition. Would you believe I don't have a copy of that? I don't have that with the cover on. But because uh, we have a different <laughs> cover. We have the European one, a blue one. Okay, but that that's a that's a deeper kind of dive into a more health aspect. And then I've got a book called Atomic Focus, because I often feel and you must see it in your own work. Well, maybe it's a little bit different. Men can have a lot of anxiety, but they're not necessarily the best groups to go into a bookstore and come out with a book on anxiety or to seek help. That's kind of the nature of the individual and the book Atomic Focus was about improving concentration and attention span. And the very tools that we use to improve concentration and attention span are the same tools that we use to address a racing mind. So we can help a person's mental health, but in an indirect way, because we're using the tools to improve performance. And sometimes we just have to do that because I remember giving courses 10 years ago, and specifically for anxiety and panic disorder. <clears throat> and I had a lot of people go through, about 3,000 people go through the courses. But 90% of the people who attended were females. And I often wondered, why, are the, why are, is it primarily females? Do males have no interest in the breath? Now, thankfully, it has changed in those 10 years. But in the information that we put it out there, I suppose the best thing really is get people to experience breathing, you know, and then they kind of know that they're on the right track. Yeah, no, I think those links are, are absolutely true. And I think for, for me, you know, I also have had anxiety throughout my life and I know for, um, in the U.S., at least in America, you know, the the um, getting in touch with our feelings as guys isn't always what we're taught to do, right? <laughs> Not to pay attention to those types of things. But I think, and and and, and women, of course, can have that same experience. Um, but I can only talk from my male perspective, right? But yeah, but I, I have found when I start to pay attention to that, because breathing is then about feeling our body, things are going to come up because naturally with that, you're entering into silence and slowness and stillness. And I think sometimes we don't want to deal with those things that come up, but I think life is found there as, as we've been talking about physically, mentally, emotionally, it, it, it's all linked in that space. And so I think that absolutely makes sense. So we, we've talked a lot about sort of the, the, the sort of negative parts of breathing incorrectly. How might we start to breathe 
correctly? How, what, what is ba the, the basic posture? I know, of course, breathing in and out of the nose is part of it. And I wish we had time to go into your know, nitric oxide and all these, all these other things. We'll save some things for people to go buy the book and find out about. But how do we start to breathe correctly? What are some basic practices for people just to start with, to start to pay attention to? Yeah, somebody who is feeling quite stressed, it was a very simple exercise to help stimulate the vagus nerve to activate a relaxation response. And this can be practiced by absolutely anybody, regardless if they have a predisposition towards panic disorder or anxiety. But we also use it for, you know, for everybody as a warm up. And this exercise goes as follows. Take a normal breath in and out through your nose and you pinch your nose and you hold your nose for five, four, three, two, one. Let go, breathe in through your nose. And now just breathe normal for about 10 to 15 seconds. So you're just breathing normal for 10 to 15 seconds. And again, take a normal breath in through your nose and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold your nose. Five, four, three, two, one. Let go, breathe in through your nose and breathe normal for 10 to 15 seconds. Now, if five seconds of a breath hold is too long for some people, just do maybe three seconds. And again, Take a normal breath in through your nose and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold. Five, four, three, two, one. Let go, breathe in through your nose and breathe normal for 10 to 15 seconds. Now, this seems a very simple exercise, but I will give a, a brief explanation afterwards. And again, take a normal breath in through your nose and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold your nose. Five, four, three, two, one, let go, breathe in through your nose and breathe normal for 10 to 15 seconds. So you're just breathing normal for 10 to 15 seconds. And again, take a normal breath in through your nose and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold. Five, four, three, two, one, let go, breathe in through your nose and breathe normal for 10 to 15 seconds. That exercise stimulates the vagus nerve because it effectively slows down the exhalation. And it's a very good exercise if a person is really having labored breathing. Because if you're feeling labored breathing and if you have air hunger, the last thing you can do is slow down your breath. So in order to bring some control of your breathing, you could do that exercise. That exercise also harnesses nasal nitric oxide. And when you let go of your nose, you're breathing in. So you're carrying that nitric oxide into your lungs where it helps to open up the airways. It also increases carbon dioxide a little in blood. And that will help to increase blood flow to the brain. Another exercise that we use then to open up the nose, to decongest the nose. And the importance of this is because if somebody has a stuffy nose, they are more likely to have sleep problems. So a person with rhinitis, they are more likely to experience insomnia, snoring, obstructive sleep apnea. Don't do this next exercise if you're pregnant or if you've got serious medical issues. If you have anxiety or panic disorder, go easy. So with this exercise, take, so maybe Phil, go easy with this. Take a normal breath <laughs> in and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold your nose and just gently nod your head up and down as you hold your breath and continue holding your breath and continue just gently nodding your head up and down as you hold your breath and continue until you maybe feel a moderate air hunger. Don't go strong, but normally we can push people a little bit. Maybe let go there and breathe in through your nose. And the whole purpose there is to hold your breath until you feel a moderate air hunger, 
to a strong air hunger. And by doing that, you have to decongest the nose. And that works also. It's very helpful for people with hay fever or a head cold. Now, if you have a head cold, your nose can get stuffy again. The more you breathe through your nose, the better your nose works. So we'll do that exercise again. Normally, we have to do it about five or six times with a minute's rest in between each. So to do it again, take a normal breath in and out through your nose, pinch your nose and hold your nose. And just gently nod your head up and down, holding your breath. And continue holding your breath. So continue gently nodding your head up and down as you hold your breath. And continue doing so until you feel a moderate to strong air hunger. And then to let go, but to breathe in through the nose. Now, we do exercises like that as well with, say, for example, but we do it easy with people with panic disorder. And there's two groups of people with panic disorder. One group of people are able to tolerate air hunger. They can tolerate, quite, tolerate it quite well. The other group are not. When they experience air hunger, it can bring on a panic attack. They've got a very strong reaction to the feeling of air hunger or to the feeling of suffocation. And they won't even like that, me using that word suffocation. We use the exercises to give them a very gentle dose of suffocation, a teaspoon. And the purpose of this is to desensitize the brain's reaction to the feeling of air hunger. So, you know, if people feel that the air hunger is a little bit uncomfortable, just go a bit easier. The next exercise I'm going to go is with breathe light. And this can involve shallow breathing, but the whole purpose is to target the biochemistry. So if you put one hand on your chest and one hand just above your, above your navel and just allow your shoulders to drop and to relax and don't care what happens. So you're just following the airflow coming in and out of your nose. And the whole purpose is to gently slow down the speed of the air coming into your nose and to have a really relaxed and a slow and a gentle breath out. And do it according to your own breathing. You know, so even though I'm going to move my hands really slowly in, it's a very soft breath in and it's a really relaxed and a slow and gentle breath out. The purpose of this exercise is that as you breathe in, it's almost that your breath in is imperceptible. You're breathing in really softly. And at the top of the breath, you're having a really relaxed and a slow and a gentle exhalation. So remember, when we said that if you breathe in soft, and if you have a really slow and relaxed exhalation, as you have a slow and relaxed exhalation, there's communication from the body up to the brain and the brain is interpreting that the body is safe. I'd like you to practice it just for about two more minutes. If you feel a little bit stressed with it, just take a rest. But to go back to it, just kind of play with it. What I want you to do is I need you to slow down your breathing to the point that you feel air hunger. So you're taking a very soft breath coming into your nose and a really relaxed and a slow and a gentle exhalation. And the whole purpose is to breathe less air. And by breathing less air, carbon dioxide increases in the blood. And as carbon dioxide increases in the blood, you feel air hunger. So the premise of this exercise is to deliberately increase carbon dioxide in the blood by breathing less air. And we increase carbon dioxide by taking a very soft, gentle breath coming into your nose. 
and a relaxed and a slow and a gentle exhalation. Now, ironically, even though you were breathing less air and I see less movement, there is more oxygen being delivered throughout your body because of the increase of carbon dioxide. And that's something that is really, really important in terms of breath work and it gets overlooked. Also, that exercise is likely to stimulate the vagus nerve. And in terms of the autonomic nervous system, it's always very important to pay attention to the amount of saliva in the mouth. When we get stressed, our mouth goes dry. When we go into deep relaxation, we have increased watery saliva in the mouth. Because when the body is in a state of deep relaxation, it's more prepared for the digestion of food. And the increased watery saliva is an indication that the body is ready for the digestion of food. So in terms of the autonomic nervous system, we have the two arms. So by you really having a very light breath in and a very slow and relaxed exhalation, the slow and relaxed exhalation helps to stimulate the vagus nerve, but also the breathe light helps to stimulate the vagus nerve. And you know that you're breathing light when you feel air hunger and to take a rest at that. So it's not that we want people to spend their entire day breathing less air, but we would like them to practice breathing exercises for maybe 10 minutes before sleep, because it's a very good tool to help downregulate. You know, so many people are hyper aroused. Their mind is so busy. They've, you know, life can be very challenging for many people. And then we have devices that people are spending so much time in, which are only contributing to the angst and contributing to distraction of the mind. And it's very important to be able to bring our attention inwards to slow down our breathing, to change states. So when people practice that, it might take a while just to get the hang of it. So you never worry about how you're doing. You know, the whole goal is to practice. And you're taking a very soft breath in and a really relaxed and slow breath out. And then for people, check the saliva in the mouth. Has it got more? And if you have increased watery saliva in the mouth, then you will know that your body and mind is going into relaxation. Oh, amazing. Thank you for guiding those practices. I... It was, it was great to get to practice with you. I appreciate that guidance and would again encourage people to go back and try them again. And I know, like you said, those are just a few of uh, a few dozen that you teach, which of course can be found in the book. So thank you for sharing that. And oh man, I feel like we just scratched the surface. There's, there's so much more to it, um, you know, but I, I wanna honor your time. And so what would maybe be a final challenge or encouragement that you would offer people when it comes to their breath and, and considering their breathing practices? You know, I think it's one of a tremendous tool that we have in our daily life to help to bring a stillness of the mind. The breath practice that we do is quicker than simply paying attention to your breathing alone, because especially if you want to change states. And so many people have agitation of the mind and they don't necessarily realize that if your breath is agitated, your mind is agitated. And if you control your breathing, you can control the mind. Go for a walk with your mouth closed and pay attention to your breathing as you go for the walk. And that will help to bring you into present moment awareness. But also as you breathe with your mouth closed, you're increasing carbon dioxide in the blood. 
So you might feel a little bit more air hunger, but remember, as carbon dioxide increases in the blood, more oxygen is offloaded from the red blood cells to the tissues and organs, including the brain. As you sleep, sleep with your mouth closed, never wake up with a dry mouth in the morning. If you get into a tricky situation during the day, try to stop yourself from hyperventilating. And all you need to do is spend 90 minutes. And always remember this, if you breathe out fast, it's a stress response. And if you breathe out slow and relaxed, it activates the body's relaxation response. And the more you connect with your breath during the day, you have to bring a stillness to the mind and a gap between thoughts. And that gives you the ability then to hold your attention on what you want to hold it upon. And that is spirituality. You know, we can connect with the breath and we can connect with the life. And, you know, I suppose people often have probably steered away from breathing because they may not have understood and maybe because breathing has often been taught according to tradition that it hasn't looked at breathing from the broader perspective, but it's very important to, to give breathing, a, a, you know, bring it into your way of life and start off at five minutes. Five minutes is going to be better than nothing at all. But really the whole purpose of this is bring it into your way of life. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That was that was wonderful. I appreciate it. Some really, really great things for people to consider. If they want to go deeper with you, um, can you talk a little bit about where people can find you and maybe some of the tools they could find at your site, in your books, the, that type of thing? I know you have the one for sleeping that goes around the mouth. Just kind of promote some yeah. places people can go and I'll drop it in the uh, show notes, the description below. People can click and just go right to these things. Yeah, the taping of the mouth is one that's important to discuss because people, when they hear about taping <laughs> of the mouth, it's, it can be pretty scary. Um, I have, yeah, I have a tape here. The tape that we use is called Myo Tape. It's my own tape, but we developed it originally for children and teenagers, but then it became popular with adults. It's a tape that's elasticated cotton, and we surround the mouth with it. And it covers, it surrounds the mouth. It doesn't cover the lip, the lips. And there's a tension there, which is helping to bring the lips together. So it encourages nasal breathing, but without causing any distress. And I give workshops fairly frequently uh, through butecoclinic.com. That's B-U-T-E-Y-K-O clinic.com. And I've got separate workshops for people with anxiety and panic disorder, a very gentle approach to help bring them through the breathing process. People with respiratory conditions, people with sleep issues. Um, I put some videos out for COVID because I've more recently working with people with long COVID and um, these people have a really hard time because it's affecting the autonomic nervous system. They're, they have, can ve have very pronounced breathlessness and they have great difficulty even talking a sentence. So, but you'll find those videos. I've put together free workshops that are up on YouTube that have all of the exercises if somebody is trying to recover from pretty poor breathing. Our children's program is completely free. That's up on YouTube as well. All of the exercises for children because it's so important that children learn to be able to decongest their nose and improving their breathing and also to control their own states. And then for high performance, it's Oxygen Advantage. So two main websites, butecoclinic.com 
and oxygenadvantage.com and social media as well, YouTube or Instagram or whatever. Awesome. I will put links to all of that in the description below, as well as the books. Uh, Patrick, you know, for a 200th episode, this was amazing. It was a, it was a great honor. I think your, your books and your work are making a huge difference in the world. I know it has for me. So thank you for both your work and for taking the time to join us today. Been a pleasure. Thanks very much, Phil. Hey friends, Phil here again. Thank you so much for joining us in this episode. This is one of my favorites. This is central, friends, to our lives, physically, spiritually, mentally, relationally. So I can't highly recommend enough checking out those links below, engage the practices, learn more about your breath. And if you did enjoy this episode, friends, once again, I would love if you would consider supporting the podcast over on Patreon while gaining some really great access to exclusive content that we offer there. Check out our spiritual direction one-on-one sessions with me, which you can also find at the link below. Thank you again, friends, and we will see you next time. Until then, grace and peace be with you.